Want to get the edge with your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle have teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data for all the Premier League matches each game week. You combine betting market data with InfoGoal's performance data to try and find Pinnacle customers' value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. A week away, did you miss us? But we're back. And hopefully better than ever. This is EPL Insights for Game Week 22, a podcast provided by Pinnacle with all the data provided by InfoGoal. Gareth Wheeler alongside Jake Osgathorpe as we're going to delve into this week's board. We have 10 fixtures to get into this week. Reflect a little bit upon what happened at the FA Cup as well. And of course, the transfer window is closed. And while Chelsea were the big spenders, Everton did it by one player. Um, Jake, what do you make of what's transpired over the last few weeks? Because the FA Cup games, I mean, some games, some teams were playing, some teams weren't. We had Carabao Cup semifinal action as well, where four teams were implicated in that. But of course, all eyes were really on the transfer market to see what would happen. And Chelsea just smashed everyone away. Other teams probably improved around the edges and, Sides like Everton could be in a world of hurt as we come down the stretch here. Yeah, it was a fascinating couple of weeks. Um, not only you know have Everton not signed anybody, I guess, I, in my opinion, the best signing that they made was actually bringing Sean Dyche in. Um, I think he he gives them a really good chance of surviving. I just look at that Everton squad and think it's a very Dyche-ian squad. It's built to play deep-lying block. <laughs> yeah, you like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's built to play that kind of deep-lying like block with you know, sort of swiftish counter-attacking moves, threats from set pieces. Um, it's very similar to the kind of team that he had at Burnley. And I think he could probably get them out of trouble and maybe push on um in into the in next season if he stayed if he's still there. I, I do think that the that was a really smart appointment. Um I mean any anything is better than what they had in terms of Lampard. Um but yeah that that was an interesting turn of events. And then Chelsea just going mental basically and um and effectively signing six players for the next eight years so six starters for the next eight years which is um you know i'm sure todd bowl is very happy with himself that he's managed to get those deals over the line get the players in um use the obviously amortization of the fee to sort of hide hide it behind a, a little bit of a cloud for the ffp and keep them in check there but yeah they've done good business like you know Enzo Fernandez was fantastic at the World Cup. He's been really good for Benfica. Um, you know, Mudrick, we've not seen a lot of him. Everything I've seen, and we've got a couple of things on site at the minute, just sort of valuing transfers. Every, like the, the general consensus is that they overpaid for Mudrick, which is, you know, fair enough for, to be confirmed. But um, you know, the main one I think will be pretty big for them is is Badashiel, the uh, the centre half. I know they've got Fafana to come back as well, but he he should really suit. What Graham Potter wants to do is a really good defender in terms of progressing the ball out from the back. Um, I was also quite impressed with um, Manchester United signing at the end, yeah. Marcel Sabitzer. I think he's very underrated on these shores. Uh, everyone just sees him as, oh, he's backup for Bayern Munich. But, you know, yeah, he's, he's the backup. But Goretzka and Kimmich are bloody good. Like they start for Germany as well as a pair. So it's hard to kind of get in front of them. Um, and he's perfectly suited to fitting in that Ericsson role. He's a very um, he's probably got a bit more of an engine than Ericsson, so he'll be able to press for a little bit longer and maybe last more along with the pitch. Probably not as cute on the ball, but he does get the ball forward with driving runs and progressive passes. So that'll definitely help 
um, cover him while Ericsson is out. And then Arsenal, I think we both agree that Arsenal have done um, you know decent business there by bringing in Jorginho on you know fairly cheap, twelve million quid. Um, Party looks like he's got hamstring injury, so might be missing for this week, maybe for a couple more. And, and Jorginho brings a similar kind of profile to Party in the sense that he's kind of a, just a defensive-minded midfielder who gets the ball and moves it up the pitch quite quickly when he has it. So, um, yeah, pretty good. Um, I'm, the one I'm fascinated by is Bournemouth, because they brought in three or four players there. Um, what? Well, I don't know much about any of them, to be honest. So, you know, if their hits, if they come off, then that could really change their season in terms of propelling them away from danger. So um, they're definitely an interesting case for me just to keep an eye on. So, yeah, it, it was it was fairly insane. Well, well, Southampton and Bournemouth both making significant moves to try to bolster their squad, spending some real money at the bottom of the table as well. Well, other side simply did not. Well, when we get into the games, we'll, we'll kind of – provide some of the angles of what these new players might be. But uh, I mean, Chelsea's the one they might've splashed the cash, like more than La Liga, the Bundesliga combined, like it's ridiculous, but what does that mean this season? I mean, not bad for a 10th place side. Like this isn't a side that's really contending for the top four or are they right now at pinnacle after the transfer window closed plus seven Oh one to finish top four. There's a 10 point gap between Manchester United and Chelsea. Is that too much to overcome? Because right now with the injuries in this team, and they do have a substantial, it's a lengthy injury list. And some of these players, let's be honest, they're young. Chelsea's bought young. It hasn't, they haven't necessarily bought for now. They bought for the future. So is that a play that you consider to make, considering that they have added at least some talent into this side? Um, I think if you're going to make that play, now is the time to do it because not only have the you know they've got the transfer out the way they brought in all these players, but the schedule is actually pretty soft for Chelsea over the next seven or eight games. Um, they've got Fulham, West Ham, Southampton, Spurs away, which I guess is the trickiest one of the lot. Leeds at home, Leicester away, Everton at home, Villa Villa at home, Wolves away. So they've got effectively there. I think I've listed nine games. We've got eight very winnable games and a road road game at Spurs who probably are a team that they could beat as well. So if you like Chelsea's finishing the top four, this is the time to back it because it wouldn't, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they go on a run here and put together maybe seven wins and a draw. Um, obviously, you're still relying on Newcastle and Man United dropping points. Um, the way in which they're both playing, I can't see it personally. I think it's a lot of ground to make up. Um, and they've got a leapfrog quite a lot of teams in there as well because you know the way which Brighton are playing, they're not going to drop like masses of points over a long period of time. They're going to consistently keep picking points up. Um, Fulham, you'd expect to drop off. Brentford have been very solid and consistent. Um, so yeah, I, I personally won't make that play. I, I don't think. I, I think it's you know top four. There's too much of a gap already there. Um, Ten points. The quality of United and Newcastle is, you know, is, is high. And Chelsea, as I've said, if you think they're going to get there, this is the time to do it because there's every chance that they close the gap ahead of what would be a tough finish to the season. In which case, you know, you'd probably get a shorter price than what you're seeing at the moment. Let's continue this quick look into the futures market before we get into uh, this week's games for top four. United minus three forty nine, Newcastle minus one forty one. Um, I think they're priced appropriately. Liverpool still plus 225. 
as an outside shot. Spurs at plus 250, then Chelsea and Brighton Sorry. at plus 701. I, I still don't get Liverpool at plus 225. Is this the top four? Yeah. Plus this 225. Is the top four. Yes. No For way. Liverpool top four. And Chelsea um, plus 700. 701. I, I don't. Same, I, 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 the same points. I don't quite understand it because yeah, Liverpool maybe. right now are a million miles off it. And that's why if it's one or the other, I'm not touching either, to be honest with you. I'd be tempted to make a play at Spurs at plus 250. Dan is a good player, adds something up top. Um, Richarlison can't be any worse than he was in the first half of the season, can he? Like he's done nothing. I don't think he scored a Premier League goal. And um, Poro at, at, as an outside fullback, I mean, it's, it's been the, the the weakest position for Spurs all season long. You can't play that formation and not have any width. So I, I, I do like those two moves. Uh, I'd be tempted Spurs at plus 250, perhaps at the expense of Newcastle. They've drawn a lot of games this season. That's the one I'd be tempted on. It's also worth mentioning uh, to win the title, Arsenal Still a minus number, minus 135. Manchester City at plus 120. We did see those two sides play in the FA Cup. It was the first time they met this season. It was a competitive game. There were changes in the teams, but City went on to win that 1-0. Cancelo goes out to Bayern Munich. Um, and then you see the movement that Arsenal, uh, the, the moves that Arsenal made. They're five points up with a game in hand, Our Arsenal. Um, are these numbers just about right for you? At this stage of the season, yeah, I think they are. Um, you know, you've got a five-point cushion right now, but Arsenal do have a game in hand as well, so it means it could stretch to eight if they win that. Um, they, they play each other twice. Uh, they do, you know, yeah. The, the two Premier League games coming up. That also means Arsenal take could take points off City in their potential haul. So, it, like for me, even if Arsenal just avoid defeating one of those games in a great position, because that ultimately means that City have got you know two fewer points they can pick up over the course of the campaign. Um, I still, you know, as much as I'm enjoying what Arsenal are doing, and they obviously thoroughly deserve to be up there, I think this is the time to back City because we've seen in second half of seasons that they just flip a switch and they, you know, reel off 10, 12 game winning streaks. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we're about to witness something like that because all the underlying numbers are really solid. Like the performances are there. They just had a little bit of bad luck over the last couple of weeks. Um, Obviously, the draw at Everton was the main one. The defeat to Man United, where the goal that Bruno Fernandes scored shouldn't have stood, like th- those kind of things, just you know they they've been going against City. You're, you're grinning. You're a Man United fan, but you'd admit it as well. It was it was dubious to say the 50, least. 50, 50, 50. <laughs> Seen him given. Um, yeah, but but you've got a City team who in the last five seasons on a Pep have averaged over fifty six, uh, sorry, forty six points in the second half of the season. So. Um, if they hit that t- tally, then Arsenal would have to probably get 90 points. So a 40-point second half of the season, which, which obviously is doable. They've hit 50 in the first half, but it's much more difficult in the second half of the season when you're running down the home straight and you've got Man City hot on your heels. Um, especially, as you said, they've got to play each other twice. And you know the, the FA Cup game, I'm pretty sure that... that, that you know, the, the, it being a cup game, like everyone will probably think it doesn't have much of a mental effect. It will. Because Man City know that they they, they can beat Arsenal, um, and you know all, the XG from that game it was 0.6 and 0.2, so Arsenal really created very little. Yeah. Um, and again, that'll give huge confidence to 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 City, even if they go into the Emirates. Uh, yeah, the Emirates, and they'll just be able to say, right, well, this team, you know, we've played them already. They really didn't create anything. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a huge, you know, not huge, but it's a psychological blow. Just the fact that, you know, it's kind of a it's like the big brother and little brother, isn't it? Like the big brother's just gone, no, get back in your place. We're still the big dog. Um, and I, I think we'll see that over the next probably three, four weeks. I think that I also got some tricky games coming up as well, which is um, you know, starts this week. You know, if you'd have said last last week, Arsenal away at Everton, you'd think three points, because the you know, Lampard's team were just giving them out for fun, weren't they? Um, but now you've got Daichi and approach exactly, um, and they're going to make life very difficult for Arsenal. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Arsenal drop points this weekend, um, and then obviously the Man City price could drop um, quite significantly if they do a number on Spurs, which I think we probably expect them to do. So yeah, I think if you're going to if you, if you like City, back them now because I don't think you're going to get a bigger price than this um, for the rest of the season. In the top four, yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand the Liverpool price. That is ridiculous. Like, plus yeah. 225. Um, you know, you're talking about a team that's just completely dysfunctional right now. They, You know, the midfield's an absolute joke. They can't, like, press. They can't defend, which means that the the the, the main attacking outlets of Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, they don't trust to go forward, which means that the creativity is, is just, you know, it's on a downward spiral. And we'll get onto that a little bit later when we're talking about the... The game at we, Wolves, we, so we, we might be aligned we'll on this upcoming game this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Good news for both Arsenal and City. Both are done with United for the year, so a good chance for them to continue to pick up points elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, Just a final <laughs> note on the on the top four. I don't know if you mentioned them, but Brighton. Brighton are plus 701 as well. The same the same as Chelsea. Now, I think Chelsea, like Chelsea they've, they've obviously got what you would say quite a high upside at the moment because we don't know what they're going to, you know, quite high ceiling. We don't know what they're going to be like when all these players come together. Um, but Brighton have shown that their their floor is quite high in the sense that the general, you know, the week to week performances is quite high now. Um, the ceiling might not be as high as what Chelsea could reach, but consistently wise, consistency wise, they are more consistent. So, oh, I, you know, they've got a game in hand on United as well. If they win that, then the five points behind. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they they definitely deserve to be in the conversation because they're performing at those kind of levels. Yeah. Uh, very quickly on the relegation, uh, Borm is still the favorite to go down at minus 330. Southampton and Everton at both minus 145. Wolves at plus 225. Nottingham Forest at plus 250. Leicester City at plus 325. And Leeds United at plus 350. All numbers you can find on pinnacle.com. Um, has that situation become any more clear for you? Because it's a difficult one with so many teams all within, you know, basically a win or a game separating each and every one of these sides. Yeah, it's definitely not got clearer. It's much murkier actually after the window, just purely because we, yes. you know, as you've said, they, they, you know, Southampton and Bournemouth have splashed some cash. You know, they, they're trying, they're trying to stay it, stay in the league, aren't they? They, you know, they're not going down with a whimper. They brought in, you know, what many people across the industry and the experts from the those countries that they bought from have said a, a decent enough signings. So be interesting to see how they you know, integrate and, and whether that actually sees them improve. Wolves as well have, have you know, quietly done some business. They brought in Jao Gomez from Brazil, uh, Paulo, Paulo Sarabia as well, who's a really, really good player. He was playing in the Portuguese league um, with Sport in Lisbon last season and won the title with them. I think he had a 25 goal involvement, something like that. So was it 14 goals, 11 assists, something? So he's a very good player and was on PSG's books. But they, they, they need they need Cunha and Jimenez to score. Like the team doesn't score. Like they, they have twelve goals on the on the Premier League season. Like that's where yeah. the question still, still resides. Are you still liking them for relegation? 
I actually think they'll do enough to survive. The, the team that I think that people aren't focusing on enough to go down because they've been on a decent run as of late, Forest, Nottingham Forest for me. They brought in 28 new players since the end of last season. 28! It's unbelievable. With with that much change, there's no consistency in the, in, in the team. I think they're exceptionally poor. They're changing their goalkeeper now. They're, they're chopping and changing Navas, all over so the place. I, I, I understand that, but when Dean Henderson comes back, if he does, what's that situation going to look like? They, not, none of this is straightforward for this Nottingham Forest team. I just don't think that they're very good. And at plus 250, <laughs> that provides the best number on the board for me. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from, for sure. Um, you know, like I say, the the three at the head of the bet in there, Bournemouth, Southampton and Everton, have all, in my opinion, improved over the last couple of weeks, whether it be a managerial change or players that they brought in. Um, and then, yeah, like, I think Wolves will be fine, personally. Leicester, I mean, they, they brought in a centre-half, which is kind of what they needed. Leeds have spent a lot of cash. You know, they they brought in a lot of players. Um See, I think it's fascinating now. Like, yeah, I really, me too. You know, I, I still think Bournemouth will go down, but yeah, I think I think I'll Bournemouth is the worst team. But at minus three thirty, there's nothing that like, you know, to me, it's not worth making that bet considering how close things are. But I think that Bournemouth are the worst team of the bunch. So yeah. I think I think we need another, we need a couple of weeks to just yeah. assess where these are, where these sides are, what the signings have done. Um, like the main issue I still have with Bournemouth is the manager. I don't know what he's still doing there. Like Gary O'Neill, he like he, he was brought in as a caretaker manager. They had the perfect opportunity to get in an actual manager that knows what they're doing. Um, but they decided to hire him anyway. So yeah, that that was a strange decision. I, you know, if, if if you're looking at you know next manager to go, that's where I'd be going with my money. Would be O'Neill because I think if they have a couple more bad results after they've spent all this cash, you know they're not going to want to go down. They're going to make a change and bring in a, a better manager. So. Um, yeah, he's, he's set up really nicely though, and, and it's so weird, isn't it, that we're in February and there's still like yeah. 18 games left. He's still yeah. got half a season. Thank um, you, November Winter World Cup. Um, that's provided <laughs> that uh, that context. Uh, let's push forward to to our games. The last time that we did our Premier League bets and predictions was game week 21. It was two weeks ago. Jake and I, for the first time on this podcast, went head-to-head on two different games. And everything looked to be coming up Wheeler. Uh, I I hit the under on Liverpool-Chelsea. It played to a goalless draw. I had some swagger, my pep, some some pep in my step. I was up 3-1 on the head-to-head going into the big Arsenal-Man United game. Jake had Arsenal to win. All I needed was a United draw, and Wheeler would have taken a commanding 4-1 lead. Then hearts broken by Eddie and Kenny late on in that game. <laughs> in, in fairness, United were just holding on throughout, but you're still very much in the mix. On a scale of one to ten, Jake, how nervous were you watching the latter stages of that match from the Emirates? Um, more nervous after the Liverpool Chelsea game went completely the opposite way as I expected. <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of those weekends, but um, yeah, when you know when it went to, when it went to two two. Um, Arsenal just went up another gear and really penned United in, and I just felt it. You felt it was coming. You felt there'd be at least one good chance, um, and you know, fortunately, he took it. And there, you know, there might have been some knee slides around the house. Well, you were probably you, you probably started that celebration. It was midweek because this was something that I did mention on the podcast. If Casemiro was suspended, 
I wasn't as confident. Lo and behold, Arsenal don't play midweek. United do against Crystal Palace. Become a little bit more leggy for that another, you know, back-to-back away games in London. They play midweek. They lose Casemiro. So to be honest with with you, things were stacked against me. And after Casemiro and that Wednesday game was played, I'm like, I'm losing this bet. Um, so, <laughs> but thankfully, the, the Liverpool Chelsea under played exactly how I predicted, and I was able to salvage. We were able to salvage a split on the week, whichever way you want to look at that. So we'll see if we have any head-to-heads this week. Um, as always, we have our feature five, and then we'll go rapid fire for the remaining five games of the weekend. Anything else to add, or you ready to, to dig in? Uh, I had another plus week, despite. I lost a double in that Arsenal game, to be honest, because I, I made that Arsenal or uh, a United uh, with the handicap of plus half a goal. But I also like the under in that game as well. And it clearly went over. But thanks to a really good start to the week, I ended up with five wins, a push and three that were incorrect. Yeah, uh, positive week for me as well. Yeah, with, I think it was uh, four wins, two push, two loss. So, yeah, profit again. Um, yeah, the, profit my, my every favorite. week so far for both of us in 2023. By the way, so well That's done. Right? Yeah, yeah. We're 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 doing something right, aren't we? <laughs> the big <laughs> one was Aston Villa, and and honestly, there was some controversy. They went up plus 155, winning at Southampton. I mean, that was one that always looked to be a good one, but the way that it played out was a little bit more dicey. But they came able to pull it off in the end. So that was my big win for the week. Yeah, well, I my favorite one was the Brighton against Leicester to score yes. twice. Um, just all the stars aligned pretty much, and, and we had a plus number. So yeah, yeah, just just take my cash, give me the profit. Thank I you. think both of us, as soon as we started talking, yeah, the over over two and a half and minus one fifteen. So that was a that that was yeah. a favorite play of the week as well. Uh, let's get to it. And the games start on Friday, at least in terms of our feature matches. It's Chelsea and Fulham. Chelsea sitting 10th place in the table on 29 points. Fulham, two points better than their big spending neighbors. Chelsea, they haven't played since that January 21st game, but they certainly did win the transfer window. They're 2-2-2 two, two and two in their last six in the Premier League, but have scored just five goals in their last nine Premier League games. They're 13th in goals scored, just 22-20, in 20, and they're 12th in XG, according to InfoGoal. They've gone under the two-and-a-half goal total in eight games in their last 10. 10 players in the team are still injured or suspended, including Zhao Felix, who was sent off last time that they played Fulham in what turned out to be a 2-1 loss for Chelsea. Mudrik was impressed after coming on against Liverpool. He looks to be the real deal. And Enzo Fernandez, I mean, he's such a good young player. We'll see what kind of role, if any, he can play this coming weekend. Chelsea are 5-2-2 two, and two at home, just seven goals conceded, which is the third fewest at home. Fulham, back-to-back losses. Has it struck midnight for Fulham Cinderella? Potentially, just maybe. They also drew 1-1 last week in the FA Cup against Sunderland. They've gone under 2 and a half in 5 of 6 after being virtually an over team for, for, for game totals all season long. No clean sheet in their last four. They're seventh in the league, but their expected league position remains in 12th. And they still have the worst expected goals against 40.6 in 21 games. 4-1 and 5 away from home. Um, and the team right now, virtually completely 
healthy. Head-to-head, like I said last time they played, it was a 2-1 Fulham win, although Chelsea dominated in terms of the expected goals, 2.74 to just 0.65 in that game. Fulham no clean sheet against Chelsea in their last eight, and Chelsea have been the first to score in seven of eight. Uh, Chelsea are the favorites heading into this game, Jake. How do you see this game playing out? Chelsea, by the way, at minus 157, a draw at plus 307, and a Fulham win at plus 493. Um, I'm actually going to take Chelsea on the handicap. I, you know, this is, I've kind of, I, I thought we were going to be recording this on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, so I did my notes then. Um, so this is before the Enzo Fernandez signing. So I've not changed my mind whatsoever. Um, and the reason for that is obviously because the underlying data is very heavily in Chelsea's favour in terms of this matchup. Um, yeah, like Chelsea, they are starting to find a bit of a groove in attack. It's taken a while, um, but they are getting there. Um, you know, the last game against Fulham was one of the games where we would call a very unfair result based on the underlying data. Chelsea hit nearly three expected goals. Uh allowed less than one expected goal and somehow managed to lose the game. Um, so they, they hit 2.7 in that one. 2.06 the following week against Crystal Palace, 1.69 at Anfield, which you know is a game that, they, again, they should have won. So the last three matches, you can see that they're starting to create more chances. Um, and, yeah, they were like comfortably better side in the reverse. At home, under Graham Potter, um, they've allowed just 1.2 expected goals against per game. That's including hosting Man City and Arsenal. So it's a decent figure and, you know, generally defensively is kind of where Potter hangs his hat. Um, and Fulham, they've not been bad of late, but away from home, they are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Yeah. They allow 1.94 expected goals against per game. So I'm fully expecting them to concede chances here. And I think there's going to be a real feel-good factor around Stamford Bridge um, after what many of the fans and you know, obviously the owner thinks there's been a very good transfer window, bringing in some good young players. Um, and I think that the players that they brought in will suit the way in which Potter likes to play, which is, you know, quite, it's, it's direct, but like with your ball on floor rather than the long punts, you know, it's kind of really quick transitional football um, with progressive passes rather than just kind of laboured around the back. And I think he's got players that can do that with now. You've got Mudrick, who's a very direct runner, um, Sterling, who's again very direct runner, if he if he's available, um, and yeah, I, I I think Chelsea minus one on the Asian handicap. You're getting a plus one one four, um, so that you're obviously taking a minus one on the handicap means that if Chelsea win by exactly one goal, you get your money back. So the only way you lose money is if Chelsea don't win the game, um, and if they win by two three goals, you get a, a payout at a nice price. And you know, I fully expect Chelsea to win the game, and for me, that's enough to take a little plunge on. Uh, on the minus one on the handicap rather than the the minus 152 that we're getting on the 1x2. A lot of this going on at Chelsea, just making it rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's raining a lot at Stamford Bridge. It's, it's going to rain goals this weekend. I'm not going to overthink this. Over two and a half at minus 107. You said it. Last Ch- Chelsea's last two games, the XG's been better. It's been well over two in both those games. I think that this is the way that Graham Potter wants to play. And Mudrick playing from the start will help. This, this He was the best player on the field in that game against Liverpool. He completely changed the complexion of the game. He has to go from the start. And there and there is some better there, – there's been underachieving attacking talent in this Chelsea side. I think that they'll come good in terms of being able to score more goals. And Fulham, you said it, they're just so poor defensively away in terms of the chances that they concede. Um, 
So yeah, over two and a half at minus 107. It's one of my favorite plays of the week. Uh, I'm not going to overthink this one. No complaints here. I mean, Fulham are generally the overs kings, aren't they? They love goals, love action. They have been. They they betrayed me in the last few weeks, but I'm hoping that uh, that it's yeah. not this time around. Um, moving on. Uh, welcome to the Deitchian era. Era at Goodison <laughs> Park. Sean Deitch now in charge, taking over for Frank Lampard. 19th place, Everton. It's a rude welcome back for Sean Deitch as they take on league leaders Arsenal, who are on 50 points, five points better than anyone else in the Premier League. Everton coming off a 2-1 loss at West Ham. They were smashed in terms of the XG in that game, 2.44 to just 0.55. They were horrible. Uh, No wins in eight in the Premier League, four losses in a row overall for Everton, and no clean sheet in seven overall. They've gone over the two and a half goal total in five of their last seven, both teams to score in six of seven, and they've also been the first to concede in four to five. So Deitch is in, but no signings. Anthony Gordon's gone out. He's gone to Newcastle. Everton, who's going to score goals? They've only scored 15 on the season, but the XG is a little bit better at 23.3. But at the same time, they've only conceded 28 goals, but their expected goals against, according to InfoGoal, is 37.5 on the season. And they've been poor at Goodison Park. This is the thing. Hostile fans, everyone's angry. They're they're two, two, and six at home. Arsenal, like let's just roll off how good they've been. The dramatic three-two win over United. They've picked up 10 points out of 12 against good teams as well. Brighton, Newcastle, Spurs, and Manchester United. They managed that difficult run um to near perfection. Um, they lost to Manchester City in the FA Cup. In that game against Manchester United, a 3.18 XG to just a 0.35 in that game. They've won their last four games away from home. Get this, by a combined nine goals to two. They're 8-1-1 one one away. 25 points away is better than anyone else by seven. And then the best away expected goals for, the second best away um, expected goals against, and the best overall expected goals against at 17.2 in 19. There are some fitness concerns, although it's sounding brighter by the day for Thomas Party to play. If not, Jorginho was brought in the Arsenal for that very reason. It's the first time that these two sides have played this season, but Everton has won three of their last four against Arsenal, but having to pick up a clean sheet in their last three. All right, Jake. I mean, Arsenal have been so good. They can't really go to Goodison Park and slip up against this side. Or will the powers of Sean Dyche be enough to change the fortunes <laughs> and, and, and really provide a stern test for Arsenal this weekend? Um, I do think that this will be a very stern test. Um, that, you know, one thing is for sure that when the news was announced that Lampard wasn't going to be in charge and eventually Dyche was appointed, I think, you know, many of the bottom three or teams around the bottom will have been a little bit nervous about that because I think if Lampard stays, they definitely go down. Um, and obviously the, this, this yeah. is a, the, the Dyche spanner in the works for Arsenal effectively, because, you know, new manager bounce. I don't personally believe in it. I don't like, I don't think it's an actual thing. I think it's just more regression to the mean. Um, yeah, Daesh will get uh, will get a tune out of this Everton team straight away. You don't have to look at the players he's got at his disposal, and you can understand why because he's got you know he's got Tarkovsky, he's got Cody. They're perfect for playing a deep line block. Um, you know he's got 
his fullbacks can keep them nice and tight. Coleman doesn't have the energy to burst and play as an overlapping fullback anymore, so he'll happily just sit there. Um, you know, he's got Dwight McNeil if he wants to use him to play as a as a tight left midfielder. You've got Onana, who's the box to box guy, all engine in midfield. Um, then you've got your kind of you know you've got Calvert Lewin up front. You could play Damari Gray off him, almost like you Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes. So you almost recreate what he did at Burnley. <laughs> this isn't what Everton. This isn't what Everton supporters want to hear. You're the new Burnley. Well, listen, if it keeps you in the league, who cares? You know, do you want to be the the new Burnley or do you want to be the the Norwich that goes down, comes up every year, then goes back down again? You know. Burnley stayed in the league, punching above their weight for six seasons with Dyche. Like they, they had no right to be in the Premier League, and and you know he managed to get a tune out of them with a very small budget. I was reading the other day that Dyche's record signing at Burnley was fifteen million pounds for Chris Wood. Every single team in the currently in the Premier League has a record signing of more than that. So they were that kind of showed you the financial level they were playing at. So he did a lot more with less compared yeah. to what. You know, many managers do. So he deserves a bit of credit for that. Um, And yeah, I think he increases the chances of not only getting a result in this game, but also keeping the league because, you know, I'm not, I'm not, don't look like that. I'm not taking Everton on a handicap or anything. No, no, no. I'm not going that far. Um, But, you know, we know how they're going to set up. They're going to be difficult to beat. They're going to play that deep block and try and make it difficult for Arsenal to create chances. So what are Um, you taking? It sounds like you're tempted to take Everton on the handicap. No, that didn't cross my mind once. It really didn't. Um, <laughs> I saw the number on the under two and a half goals at plus one hundred six, and that that was me. Yeah, that was yeah. I was taken straight away. Um, you know, not only because of the dice factor, but also because of Arsenal. Um, defensively, the best travelling team in the league based on expected goals. Um, they're tighter when they play away from home, so they're not as free flowing in terms of creating chances either. Um, and under two and a half goals landed in sixty percent of Arsenal away matches. So. All of that added together, and I, I can expect this to be a very uncomfortable afternoon for Arsenal, whether that be a nil-nil or a one-one or a one-nil Arsenal, something like that. That's kind of what I envisage. I don't think Arsenal will go there, win three-four-nil. I don't think Everton will stay or want to play in a high-scoring match, and it be one-two like two-one or three-two. Um, so yeah, the unders for me, I just thought that that, that number was huge, plus one of six. Um, I thought it would have dropped a little bit after Dyche was appointed because I I expect Everton to play low-scoring games for at least three or four weeks until he finds his feet. I wish that you just came out and were actually bold for a change, Jake, and said Everton at <laughs> plus 731 to win this outright. That would have been that would have been gutsy. But I completely agree with you. Under two and a half goals at plus 106. I'll leave it at that. Everton can't score. Just look at their squad. They're so limited in terms of what they have. It's just, I think they're in some real trouble. Uh, Arsenal have been excellent, but I think they'll be content going there, picking up a dirty point or or, or three, one 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 nil. I can see something like that playing out. So uh, I'll take the under as well. Uh, let's move on uh, to Old Trafford, Manchester United in fourth place, taking on twelfth place Palace. These side just played a couple weeks ago. It was a one one draw. An Olise late equalizer, 90 plus one, um, that it was a well-earned point for Crystal Palace. Big improvement in the second half from the first half and a game that cost Casemiro a chance to play against Arsenal the following weekend. After United beat Manchester City, they were flying high. They had a difficult week. The, the draw against Palace, the loss against Arsenal. And it's incredible. They played three games since that time. The two games against Nottingham Forest in the Carabao Cup semifinal, as well as beating Reading 
in the FA Cup. Uh, Christian Eriksen's out. Weghorst has come in. He's done well. And and Marcel Sabitzer comes into the team as well to to a team that doesn't really have the depth in the midfield right now. Scott McTominay is out as well. But the Sabitzer pickup, I think it's a good one, bringing another leader in the team, a a good distributor of the ball. I think he'll fit right in to the way that Eric Ten Hag wants to play. United beat excellent at home, 7-1-1. They've only conceded five goals at Old Trafford this season. It's the best home number in terms of goals conceded per game in the Premier League. This team can score goals as well. They, they've really picked things up as of late. They've gone over the two and a half goal total in seven of their last nine games and have been the first to score in their last five in all competitions. Crystal Palace back-to-back draws against very good sides in United and Newcastle, although just a 0.5 and a 0.34 XG in those games. Both of those games did come at home. They haven't won a game in their last five overall, just three goals scored in their last seven Premier League games, and the third worst XG overall. They are 2-3-4 away from home on the season, and their two wins came in their last four away games. Anderson remains out at center back, and it seems like Wilfred Zaha will miss out this weekend as well. They played to a 1-1 draw last time, but from 2018, Manchester United against Crystal Palace, four wins, three draws, three losses. So it's been evenly played, and United haven't picked up a clean sheet in their last three against Palace. Um, These two sides, they just played one another, Jake. I'm not sure if that comes into the equation whatsoever. Uh, What do you make of this matchup this time around? Um, I've actually got no bet in this. Um, yeah, I, I think United are short enough. If I was Tabellini, it'd be United to win to nil, just purely from what we've seen based on, you know, United's defensive strengths of recent weeks and, and Crystal Palace really, really underwhelming, actually. Um, I was talking to someone earlier and, it, you know, just highlighting the fact that their current underlying data is kind of in line with what we saw from, Palace under Roy Hodgson at the back end of his era before Vieira came in. So he's almost been, you know, a lot of positive and then he peaked last year and they've really taken a downturn. So, um, you know, they've brought in a couple of signings, haven't they, in midfield. I don't think they've got much of a chance this weekend. I think United are a team that are on a roll. Um, and yeah, Palace are struggling to create chances at the moment and struggling to score goals. So yeah, United would have won at Sellers if it wasn't for that worldy, you know, unbelievable free kick. Um, so yeah, I, I have no bet, personally, but if I was to have a bet, it would be United win to nil. Yeah, that's exactly what I have. Both teams to score no combined with the Manchester United win at plus 124 uh, on Pinnacle. It's a plus number. United don't concede at home. They can rotate through their back four. Zaha, if he doesn't play, that's a huge loss just in terms of where the creativity comes or where the real threat. Uh, in this Palace side comes from. He should have scored the, the, the match winner late on. He got behind the back line. Juan Bissaka, a great you know, point-saving challenge for United in that game. No Zaha, no party. Manchester United should win this. I expect it to be relatively low scoring. Although Sancho's back in the team, some of the attacking options have, have come into play for Manchester United. But they did play um, midweek against Nottingham Forest. Ten Hag doesn't rotate too much. I think a hard-fought home win is just about right with Palace failing to score in this game. So at plus 124, good number for me and good enough for me to make a full play in that one. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, 17th place Wolves hosting 9th place Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool played to a goalless draw with Chelsea last time out. 
And it was their second lowest XG in a game this season. They then lost to Brighton 2-1 in the FA Cup. These would be miserable times for Jurgen Klopp and this Liverpool side. They've conceded in nine of their last 12 in all competitions and conceded in eight of their last nine Premier League games. They've gone over two and a half and both teams to score in seven out of their last eight Premier League games. The exception to all those stats was last time out against Chelsea. They dropped to, they've now finally dropped. They've been the best XG team over the course of the season, but now they've dropped below City in that category as well. As you know, Firmino, Jota, Diaz all remain out. Virgil, same thing with him with Virgil van Dyke. Now, Cognate is out with a hamstring injury. So their two best center backs are out for this weekend against Wolves. The home side Wolves lost 3 0 to Man City. But they did pick up points in three out of four games before that. It's the same issues remain, just 12 goals in 20 games overall. And they played to the under in two and a half in five of seven. A very busy transfer window for Wolves. Cunha and Sarabi are going to be especially important for this team if they're going to be able to find with any regularity the back of the net. This is the first league meeting of the season, but they played twice in the FA Cup. A 2-2 draw at the Molyneux and a one or at, at Anfield in a 1-0 loss at the Molyneux. Liverpool hasn't lost in nine to Wolves, but they've been first to score in seven of nine. And Wolves haven't picked up a clean sheet against Liverpool in 15 games. Look, Jake, this doesn't look like Liverpool. Yes, they're wearing red and there are some familiar fate names in the team, but they look a million miles off it right now. Does that mean for you that Wolves have a real shot playing at home against a very poor Liverpool side right now? 100%. 100%. Yeah, the um, the bet in this one is Wolves plus uh, half a goal on the Asian handicap at plus 102. Like, it's an absolute no-brainer of a bet for me. Yeah. Um, just, you know, Liverpool have been that bad recently. Um, you know, we've, we've spoken about the defensive issues quite a lot over the course of the season, but the only thing that was keeping them afloat and keeping them relatively to- close touching distance to the top four, top six has been their attacking process. And that started to decline as well, which is you know a huge concern because if you stop creating the chances, but you're still conceding them, there's only one way you're going to go down that table. Um, yeah, they're, they're the last six matches across all competitions, they've averaged 1.1 expected goals for per game. Um, of comparison, six previous games across all comps, it was 2.2. So their the process is effectively halved um, from a six game to the following six games, which is just remarkable. Um, you know, the two, they've played Wolves twice in that time. They've managed to create 1.3 XG in total against Wolves in those two matches. So Wolves have got a very decent game plan, it would, see, uh, it would seem, to kind of nullify this Liverpool team. Um, and as I touched on earlier, like the, the dysfunction of Liverpool is not just, you know, it, it's kind of it's like a knock-on domino effect. Like the midfield isn't able to protect the defense or progress the ball, which means that the fullbacks aren't as brave in terms of going forward. So they don't want to take the risk of being exposed, which means that the creativity, which is all at uh, that Liverpool team, is all through the fullbacks, the Alexander Arnold and Robertson. It means that they're not being as creative as a team to support the forward players. So everything, you know, from that midfield issue, which is something that we've highlighted for months now, and I think everybody knew going into the transfer window that they needed a midfielder. Uh, they needed something in midfield uh, more than what they've got. It's all having a knock-on domino effect to make Liverpool just a really average team. Um, and Wolves, you know, they, they've not really exploded onto the scene in the Lopetegui, but they continue to look very solid at the back. 
defensive processes look very good. Uh, they're not conceding an awful lot of chances. Um, as you said, the only issue they have is 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 scoring goals and you know creating the chances. And I, I think the signings they've made will help with that. But you know, it, it it's not a kind of sustainable way of playing. But if you don't concede chances and you nick a goal here or there you're going to climb the table. Um, and ultimately, that's what Wolves want to do. I think they've got a really good chance of getting a result this weekend. Um, and the number, you know, plus 102, that for me is is a really, really good number. Um, you know, I've not even talked about Liverpool's just general away form, which is, you know, they've lost five of nine away games, drawn two. Um, you know, the, the, this, this kind of Wolves double chance bet has landed in 78% of away matches. So the opponents have avoided defeat 78% of the time. And defensively, nearly two expected goals against per game for Liverpool when travelling. So, literally every single number points towards Wolves getting a result here. And and you know I, you're nodding, so I'm guessing you're on board. I I have the exact same thing written down. I was tempted to to to, to make a play Wolves to win this outright, but give me half a goal at, at a plus number. I mean, that's it, it's a no brainer for me. And it, it look, I'm not a huge fan of the way that this Wolves team pl- plays. I do think they have a really good manager in Lopetegui, but Liverpool right now, they just, they're unrecognizable. You take Cunate out of this team and Van Dyke, like yeah. th- this might be the gift that Wolves needs to actually start scoring some goals in the Premier League here. Like I think the, I think Wolves can score in this game. So I, I wouldn't be adverse to, you know, making a play to Wolves to win this outright, but I think the best and the most, the smartest bet to, to make is plus half a goal at plus 102. Completely yep. agree. And yep. that's why these Liverpool futures numbers, like you brought up in, early in the podcast, I just don't get it. Like how soon are some of these players going to get back into the team? Because they're the ones that form Liverpool's identity. It allows them to play the way that they want to play. And right now they don't have it. Gakpo still seems a, a bizarre signing for me. It just, it, there's no balance in this team. Um, yeah, I, I I think they're in some real trouble and they might finish right about where they are right now when all said and done on the season. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, the, the defensive process has been bottom six for the entirety of the season. And that <clears throat> ultimately, if you keep conceding chances, there's only so many, you know, at man of the match performances Allison can put in in a season to kind of, you know keep yeah. in games no um kidding. you know even last week in the FA Cup I mean Fabinho came off the bench he looked so sluggish you know the tackle on on the young young lad Ferguson was was it was horrific Awful. but it was just because he was so slow he yeah. you know he's, he seems to have lost that step and um, this that's why he's not been playing regularly Hender- Henderson has been playing he's not pressing or not able to press I I, I really think it comes down it, the injuries yes but the number of games that this team has played over the last two, three seasons, it's ridiculous with limited rotation. Like these players are absolutely, they've lost their legs and, and you, and you can't play in this league at this pace in the style that Klopp demands when you simply can't run. Um, <laughs> I think it's rather straightforward for me. So I do and think that- it's funny that, 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 for whatever reason with Liverpool, the narrative is like, don't worry, they'll sign Bellingham in the summer and that, like why, why doesn't the same ar- why doesn't the same argument apply to whether it's Manchester United or Spurs or Arsenal or any other team that hasn't qualified for Champions League in re- recent seasons? Why would Bellingham go there when he can go to Real Madrid or Manchester City or, or or United if they're in the Champions League? It doesn't make any sense that logic to me. They're going to be going through a bit of a rebuild here, and it's not going to be an easy one for Liverpool. So, and we'll see how much Klopp can stomach it. Um, 
then with uh, with an ownership potential change as well. I think there's some real question marks around this Liverpool side. I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's just what we're seeing play out. It's just, again, it's unrecognizable. Um, yeah, you know, the issue they've got is that they were operating by kind of a Brighton-Brentford system like two, three years ago. They were signing players that were potentially undervalued that would fit into a system all using analytics and aerospace engineers that worked at the club. And they've yeah. moved away from that now. So all the recruitment is now done by you know, effectively Klopp and, and his assistant, which, it, you know, it, you can tell there's a difference because there have been more misses than hits in the last, Bingo. like, three, four windows than in previous, you know, there's one window, signing Salah, signing Van Dijk, signing Allison, like, you know, they they knew what they were doing and, and it seems like they don't have a, a plan right now. And I think the, the frustrating thing for Liverpool fans is that they everybody in football knew they needed a midfielder going into this transfer window, but they spent £40 million on the forward. Everyone, everyone knew everyone knew that in the summer, like yes, let alone yeah. January. So it's 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 bizarre. I understand the ownership change. You're not wanting to, you know, spend money now when you don't have to, but United were able to be creative in terms of the way that they approached it. Liverpool just didn't have the stomach. I I I'm not quite sure. They're still playing in the Champions League. I know they play Real Madrid, but um, yeah, it's gonna be an exceptionally difficult run in here. perhaps a surprise. I'm not betting on it. Let's put it that way. Uh, Let's move on to our final feature game. It's going to be played on Sunday. Fifth place Spurs against second place Manchester City. Spurs back on track with a 1-0 win over Fulham after back-to-back losses against Arsenal and City. So take that for what it was. They also beat Preston in the FA Cup last week. And the good news in that game is that Son scored a brace they need him to start firing for this team to really make a push for the top four. Uh, the 2-0 lead to the 4-2 loss against City last time out, that was ugly. Just the way that it played out, not that they lost to Manchester City. Um, they played 21 games on the season. That's the most games played in the top six, so there's very little room for error for Spurs going forward. They are 6-0-4 at home, but they've conceded two or more goals in their last five Premier League games at home, and they lost the last two of them. They brought in Poro, Danjuma. I think that they're two good players that should be able to help the squad in the transfer market. But no Antonio Conte, uh, he's ill, he's not well, and he's going to be away from the touchline for the foreseeable. Manchester City, after back-to-back losses to Southampton in the FL Cup and Manchester United, look what's happened. They've ruled off three straight victories. Uh, Spurs and Wolves in the Premier League and Arsenal in the FA Cup. Holland's back firing, scored a hat-trick against Wolves last time out, and also scored against Spurs. They have the best XG and the expected best expected goal differential, according to InfoGoal. Um, but they are still five points back of Arsenal, and Arsenal have a game in hand. They've been the first to score in eight of their last ten games. They're relatively healthy, although we'll see what that back line looks like if Nathan Ake continues to play on that left-hand side as Cancelo was sent to Bayern Munich, which is one of the bigger surprises of the transfer window. Head-to-head, like I said, it was 4-2 on January 19th, but Spurs have actually won four of the last six meetings in the league against Manchester City. City, no clean sheets in their last three games against Spurs, and Spurs have been first to score in five of seven. It's a compelling game here um, because of their recent track record against one another. 
And what's at stake? What's on the line in a game like this for both teams? What do you make of this matchup? And do you have a play in this game? Yeah, it's it's a big game. Um, and yeah, I, I have a play. I'm taking Man City to win minus 132. Uh, I think that's way too big of a price for for you know the best team in the league reigning champions traveling to a Tottenham team that in my opinion is bang out of form I know the results of you know they got a good win against Fulham I didn't think they were really good in that game I thought a draw would have been a fair result um and then beating Preston in the FA Cup I'm not taking much away from that um but yeah like this Man City team gave Spurs a 2-0 head start and they still beat them 4-2 with 45 minutes like there's just a huge gulf between these two sides, and I and I don't think the price fully reflects it. I, I expected it to be, you know, closer to maybe one like minus one fifty, something like that, maybe minus one sixty. Um, yeah, like I, I know Spurs, they've brought in Porro, they've got rid of a couple of right right wing backs, but I I've not seen enough from them in the restart to suggest that they're going to cause City any problems whatsoever. I mean, they look really flat. They just like they look yeah. flat. Um, you know, they've won two, drawn one, lost three of the six since the, the World Cup in the league. Um, they've averaged 1.07 expected goals four per game, so they're not creating chances anywhere near the rate required. Um, and at the other end, they're, they're conceding 1.7 expected goals against per game. So they're, they're conceding that, you know, that process, 1.07 to 1.71, is kind of, you know, it's not far away from like a Bournemouth or a Southampton. Like that's the kind of level that they're currently performing at from the data. Um, so there's massive concerns at both ends of the pitch. And then you flip it around to City, and you know, the the result they've not won six in a row, which is, you know, City have to do that, otherwise everyone's questioning what's wrong with them. Um their process since the restart's been simply like pretty flawless. You know, 2.4 expected goals for per game, 0.75 expected goals against per game. Like they are creating an abundance of chances regularly and conceding very little um the only team to beat them on xg was man united and again we talked about the the asterisk well i put an asterisk next to that because of the you know the, the whole bizarre bruno fernandez goal that i personally think should have been disallowed and then <laughs> Get it's a over different it. game potentially no i'm just saying for, from this like i'm not take, i'm not include like the for me there's an asterisk next to that game when you're talking about these kind of stats because if if they don't equalize fairly sharpish i don't think that they get back into the game united um, and it's if, but some maybes. But uh, for me, like I still think this City team are performing at a very high level, and they should be able to blow Spurs away. And yeah, like the only the only nagging doubt is the fact that Spurs are pretty good on the counter attack when they want to be, but they've not shown yeah. that enough for me this season. Like they've had the opportunities. Arsenal played front foot a couple of weeks ago. Spurs tried to play on the counter attack. They didn't click at all. Um, you know what makes anybody think it's going to happen this time? Like they're playing. A, a Man City team that are extremely well organised. Um, I know that they've they've lost Cancelo. I mean, to be honest, would he get in their best team post World Cup? Like he's he played a couple of times. He's not looked up to scratch. He's obviously got the face on about being dropped. Like you know, do you want in there? Like I saw a video doing the rounds of Pep talking to I think it was Rio Ferdinand, and he basically just said like, if you stand still, you're going to get caught. You've got to keep moving your squad on. And and I I think it's a brilliant piece of business to be honest because yeah, he's 29 it, it, years old. And you're going to get 60 million from him. Like, he was he was dropped by Portugal at the World Cup as well. Uh, yeah. Look, he was brilliant last season. This kid Rico, he's a real deal. Like yeah. he's kept Kyle Walker out of the team. He's, they've they've found different solutions as well. The business doesn't bother me whatsoever. 
it's this city team looks vulnerable at the back. Like their only clean sheet in recent games came against Wolves at home. That's a real problem. Watching that game, the the four two win over, you know, City four Spurs two. I mean, there, there could have been 10, 12 goals in that game. I just look at these two teams playing like the, the, the strength of both sides. The talent resides in attack for both teams. That's why I like both teams to score an over two and a half in this game at plus 112. City might win this game 3-1. Spurs have done relatively well against, you know, against City in recent times. The recent results, 4-2, 3-2. If you remember, like the Spurs 1-0 win, Last season, like this, parked the bus and just held on. It was incredible that it stayed one. That was nil. a Nuno so, game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just think that the, the the profiles of these teams scream goals. I like the over. I like both teams to score in this game. So give me that at a plus number. That's what I like. I agree with you. You know, City's the better side here. There's no doubt about it. But Spurs are playing at home at minus one thirty. What'd you say? Minus one thirty two. There's just not enough in it for me to to make that play, so I'll just I'll, I'll just focus on the number in this game. Yeah, I, I don't think the Spurs at home is a massive issue. I mean, they've lost four of the last five at home. It's yeah. you know, people that forget that they've lost to Arsenal, they've lost to Liverpool, they've lost to Newcastle. So whenever they've played a half decent team, they've lost. And City are more than a half decent team. So um, yeah, I, I think that that number should be shorter for City. I really do. I like that for me. I, I think there's. A lot of people looking at City and going, well, they're not as good like as what they have been. The numbers paint a different picture. They are yeah. bang on track to do exactly what they did last season from an underlying data perspective. I, I, I will and just say, a machine Spurs, up front. I, I know in, in recent times, like, you know, yes, the, their home games haven't looked good in recent times. The Benton is back in the team and Kulisevsky's back in the team. And without those two, like, they, they've been just just haven't been anywhere near good enough. They need those two players in the team. They'll have them this weekend. I think it'll make it a more competitive game. Uh, yeah. Anything I mean, to add? Or can we move on to rapid fire? I was just going to say Kulosevsky and Bentinko have been in the team for the last couple of games and it's not made much of a difference. So um, particularly for me anyway, since, like I said, since the restart, they've struggled to create chances um, and they've had Kulosevsky, they've had Richarlison back. So, you know, that, that, I'm not hanging my hat on the fact that right they're they're, they're going now, um, especially against this city defense. I, I think they'll have a real struggle, and the mood around the place is not going to be good because they're not playing very well. Uh, Conte's not going to be there on the sideline. That might either. that might be a good thing, honestly. Conte or away, no Conte. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he looks miserable. Like it just uh, it doesn't. It might not hurt for a game. Let, let's put it this way: over the duration of the season, yeah, of course, but. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens this weekend. Look at that. I think you had four plays out of your five feature matchups. I had five for five. Uh, let's skip forward to rapid fire. The Battle of the Bees, Brighton and Bournemouth. Brighton continue to look great. They kept Caicedo, which is big. They did drop points last time they played um, in a 2-2 draw against Leicester City. Followed that up by beating Liverpool in the FA Cup. Their over numbers are incredible. Over two and a half goals in 13 out of 14 in all competitions, nine out of nine in the Premier League. Both teams have scored 12 out of 14 in all competitions, eight of nine in the Premier League as well. Bournemouth picked up a point and they won the XG battle, which is very rare last time out against Nottingham Forest in a 1-1 draw in that game. No wins or clean sheets in their last seven games, but lots of reinforcements. Utara, 
Semenyo, Vinya, Zabarny, the Ukrainian center back, looks like he's a bright future, and Triore. This is the first time that they played this season. They haven't played these two sides since 2020. No surprise, Brighton a home favorite. You might still find some value in Brighton as I think they're still being underestimated by the market a little bit. Do you have anything in this game? Um, I don't know. I've I've kind of left it alone, this one. A couple of questions around Bournemouth for me that are making me a little bit hesitant. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if I... Like, I think there'll be goals. I don't know how many goals there'll be. The line's at 2.75 um, and, you know, the handicap's at one and a half and the way in which Brighton have conceded goals, well, I probably would just avoid that personally. So I've left it alone. I'm not betting the total on this game because I'm not sure if Bournemouth can finish their breakfast. Um, I'm, I'm not sure when, when these new players will be able to contribute, but I do like Brighton to nil to win this game to nil at plus 121. Brighton aren't a poor defensive team, and they don't have poor defensive players. It's just their style of play leads to goals. But sounds like Caicedo was apologized. He'll be back in the team. Um, that shield in front of the back three, I think that that will be decisive. So I think a Brighton win to nil at plus 121, it's a decent enough play for me to make a full play in that game. Um, let's go Brentford at home. We like that play, Jake as they take on 20th place, bottom of the table, Southampton. Uh, Brentford coming off the goalless draw at Leeds, but they haven't lost in their last eight Premier League games. Their last loss in the Premier League, October 23rd against Aston Villa. Only one loss all season at home. Southampton lost to Villa 1-0 last time out, but they had a goal taken away, which for me should never have been taken away. And they played three cup games since, including a midweek loss at Newcastle 2-1 in the Carabao Cup semifinal. They purchased new players as well. Sulemana, Anuacho, and Orsic, all players who can potentially help in attack. First meeting of the season between these two sides. Each won their home game, get this, by three goals last season. Do we follow suit here? I mean, we're on team play Brentford when they're playing at home. I'm going there at minus 112. Are you joining the party? Um, I am. Yeah, I'm dancing. I'm dancing. All right. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're I knew I could count on you, Jake. I knew I could yeah. count on you. We're fully aligned. Yeah, like, like we've said all season, Brentford are a team that are must bet at home when the price is right. And the price definitely looks right this weekend. Um, but underlying numbers are fantastic at home. You know, the record is good. Southampton, they won the last away, last away game in the league, but there's a caveat because it was against Everton. And as we've said, all pods, a win against Everton, they were just handing them out um, at the back end of Lampard's reign. So this is going to be much tougher. Um, also factoring Brentford haven't played for two weeks. Southampton have played every three days in that time. Yeah. So there could be a fatigue factor. Uh, and Brentford will be, you know, absolutely raring to go. And just a note on Brentford as well from me. Everyone is is absolutely raving about Brighton and how good they are and you know everything they're doing. Brentford are one point behind Brighton and they seem to be going under the radar. So I think they deserve a little bit of respect. Um, and I guess that goes for the price as well, because the price suggests that the bookies aren't giving them enough respect. Yep. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm just going to lock it in. That's my best bet of the week, by the way. Brighton, home win, Southampton, minus 112. Uh, 11th place, Aston Villa against 14th place, Leicester City. Villa, another win, 1-0 over Southampton. Three wins and a draw in their last four. Five wins 
in their last seven under Unai Emery. Leicester City, a 2-2 draw against Brighton, but that's their only point in their last five Premier League games. Over the last three seasons, these two teams have played 2-2-2. They split it right down the middle. I do not have a play for this game. Look at that. Uh, Do you? I'm going to take Villa to win. I think... um... You know, like the, the the impact Emery's made from a result standpoint have been really impressive. Seven league games, five wins, a draw, and a defeat. Um, they've beaten United, Brighton in that time. They have um, so far performed well against what you would have to call relegation candidates. Um, you know, drew with Wolves under a new manager, beat Leeds, beat Southampton. I think Leicester are a relegation candidate. Um, you know, they they look to me to be in potential trouble defensively. They their process remains an absolute shambles. They're conceding goals left and right. Um, yeah, and the only wins that they've picked up since the restart have been one nil against League Two teams. So um, yeah, when it comes to playing Premier League sides, they haven't fared too well. Um, and you know, since the restart, they've conceded multiple goals in four or five, which just kind of goes along the theme of the fact that they can't defend. Um, and Villa, I think that will they'll be looking to fin- kick on finishing the top half, and, and I think they're more than capable of doing that. Plus one hundred and four, I thought was um, a, fair, a bigger number than I was expecting. I expected a minus number, to be honest. So happy to uh, take a plunge on Villa. Forgot to mention Jake's boy, James Madison looks to be back in the Leicester side this weekend. <laughs> so the difference maker. Uh, third yeah. place Newcastle, sixteenth place West Ham. Uh, Newcastle punched their ticket to go to Wembley for the Carabao Cup final. Still just one loss on the season. Nine draws, however, on the season. That's joint most with Brentford on the season. And simply put, they're excellent defensively, especially at home. To go to the West Ham team, finally some goals have come their way. A 2-0 win over Everton. Scored two against Derby in the FA Cup. Jared Bowen, three in his last two. In fact, they scored in four of their last five games, which should be seen as progress for West Ham. It's their first meeting of the season. West Ham beat Newcastle 4-2 in this fixture last season. Uh, I'm tempted to play the under two and a half at minus 126. I'm going to watch this number. I'm not going to lock in anything for the purposes of this podcast. However, is there a play that you like? Yes, I'm going to back West Ham under 0.5 on the team total lines. So basically, West Ham not to score uh, at plus 114. Um, you know, goals generally have been quite hard to come by for Newcastle since the restart. They've had three nil nils. They've scored just four times. Um, they've conceded none, though, to be fair to them in the league. So, you know, clean sheets in all the games since the restart. Um, but they've been creating chances. Uh, 1.95 expected goals for per game across those matches. Defensively, they've been pretty sensational, just 0.69 expected goals against per game. So they're not giving up any chances whatsoever. Um, 12 clean sheets in 20 Premier League games this season, which is the best record in the in the division. Seven clean sheets in 10 home matches. Um, West Ham struggling. They won last time out, but again, there's a big caveat that it was against Everton. Um, and I just keep saying, Everton were just handing out three points. They were the best get-right game for any team at the bottom. I mean, Southampton beat them, Wolves beat them, West Ham beat them. So basically, anybody who's anybody beats Everton. Um, And away from home, West Ham, they've lost seven of ten this season. They've scored just six times in those ten games, uh, and they've failed to score in five of those ten. So 
I just thought, you know, along the same lines as you in terms of a, a low-scoring game, but I think if it is a low-scoring game, I don't think West Ham are going to contribute at all. So taking West Ham failing to score was was the kind of angle I, I thought was best yeah. suited and decent price. I, I'm, I think we're, our, our mindset, our logic is on the exact same page here. Just it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, we'll see if any of these teams can grind out the full three points in this game. For, for me, this game... It could end up in a draw. Newcastle having played midweek as well. We'll see if that has a lingering effect. And no Bruno Guimarães. No yes, yeah. in the, in this game as yeah. well. Uh, finally, Nottingham Forest taking on Leeds United. Final game of the week. This game will be played on Sunday. Uh, what do you make of this one? Bournemouth coming off a 1-1 draw. Uh, Forrest coming off a 1-1 draw against Bournemouth. They were smashed midweek against Manchester United in the Carabao Cup. Henderson gives White among 10 injuries in their team. Leeds, I like their transfer window. Weston McKenney, among other players coming in. Um, they're in desperate need of a win. Uh, what do you make of this game? Uh, I've actually got no bet in this. Um, I, I think this is quite a difficult one to call because Leeds from a data perspective, have been better than the results suggest over recent weeks. Um, it's, a, it's a small sample, but over the last three matches, they've been the fifth best team in the league based on the expected points, expected goal difference metrics. So they are performing at a decent enough level. Um, and I think that's kind of, I think it's kind of where they are. I mean, the last three matches, they played West Ham, Villa and Brentford, who, you know, in my opinion, all three are probably mid-table teams, maybe slight top half for the for the latter two. And before that, the two games they played were Newcastle and Man City, and they lost the XG battle ridiculously heavily. So, you know, that kind of tells me that Leeds are generally a, a lower half mid-table team. So it's kind of the 13th, 14th. Um, I, I think that's where they are. And I, I personally think Forrest are around that as well. I know you think that they might get relegated. I, I, I My stance has never changed on Forrest, that they, they might look like they're in trouble early doors, but they'll pull it together once all the players get get um you know acquainted properly. I think they made some good signings as well um in this window. I I, I liked the um the signing of Danilo. I think he's going to be a good player for them in midfield. I love the signing of Navas. I think he's phenomenal. What a, what, a, what that's a big coup for me for Nottingham Forest to go out and get Kayla Navas, who I think is an upgrade on Dean Henderson. Um so you know even if Henderson's fit, I think Navas is going to be the number one. Um yeah I, I couldn't really pick a bet for this one. I my my tried and trusted method of Forest plus no on the handicap when they play at home is is an appealing price. You're getting minus 107, so shades of odds on. Um, but I, I do respect this lead side a little bit. I think that they could, you know, pick up points in the near future. So I'm happy to just give this a watching brief. We're um we're running late, so I'll make this quick. This is where I'm betraying the info goal model and your stats. And I'm going in completely in a different direction. Leeds is due for a statement victory. They've only won one game away at home on, on the season. I think they're a better team playing against a Forest team that played midweek. Leeds at plus 175. This might be the big number that I cash on this week. Plus 175 leads to beat an average at best Nottingham Forest <laughs> team, which is chopping, chopping and changing all over the place. I like this Leeds team. Like I said, I think they... They, they had a good window. I think they perform better than what the results are showing. And I think that this is going to be a step forward for Leeds. Leeds at plus 170, 175 on the win. I'm booking that in for a full play. 
You can shake your head all you want. <laughs> and you just, can thank me next week if you're listening to this podcast and you make a similar play. Yeah, I'm I'm just um yeah, I'm I'm intrigued that you keep taking a anti-Nottingham Forest stance. You did the same with Bournemouth and you just got away with it. I did warn you about that one, yeah. and then you ended up with a draw with the money back. Um yeah, you're back in a league team that won once away from home all season. I know like, that I is know. great. They're due. They they are absolutely due. Yeah. Forest uh, are on a very good unbeaten run at home, though. So, you know, they're, they're, they've not been beaten at home since October. All good things come to an end, and so does this podcast. To put a book end on it, uh, what's your best bet of the week, Jake? Ooh, uh, best bet would be it's probably unders in the Everton game. I think that's the bet I fancy the most. Um, plus one oh one oh eight, I think it was. Um, yeah, that 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 that'll be my best bet. I really like that bet. I think everything points towards that being a, a low-scoring game. And mine is Brentford to beat Southampton at home at minus one twelve. Um, our Premier League's predictions articles are all available on pinnacle.com. Uh, please keep us locked in at Pinnacle on Twitter as well on our YouTube channel as well. Plus, we're gearing up for the Super Bowl. My Philadelphia Eagles are playing in it. I can't wait for them to smash uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, check out our NFL Insights podcast. They might disagree with me, and they're the experts on this. <laughs> That'll be coming up next week as well. At Gareth Wheeler, at Jake Oz with two Zs on Twitter. The odds that we've used are correct at the time of recording. And as always, please gamble responsibly. Uh, good luck this week, Jake. We're pretty much aligned across the board. No head-to-heads, but we will be keeping track and calculating our plays so you can keep track along with us as well. It's good to be back. Good to see you. Enjoy the weekend, Jake. You too. Have a good one. On behalf of everyone, I'm Pinnacle. I am Gareth Wheeler, and this has been EPL Insights with data provided by InfoGoal.